Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thanks a lot for tuning in. We really appreciate it. We had a giveaway not too long ago. Jeff, has that person claimed his prize yet? No, I have not heard from him. We have not heard from the Goose Slammer. Yep. Goose so, Slammer needs to holler at me at stanfieldhunting.com, goose at westtex.net. He won the birthday giveaway, whatever the hell you want to call it. Four people, two mornings of dove hunting, or two days of dove hunting here at the Big Honker Lodge. So, Goose Slammer, get a hold of us. All right. This podcast is brought to you by the best silhouette on the market, Dive Bomb Industries. You need to get your hands on them because they do not last. They sell out very, 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 very quickly. You need to go to divebombindustries.com today. We'll have Asher on in a couple of weeks and go over some new product they got coming out. Ooh, new products. So, uh, yeah, do not wait around on this because you will look up. It's going to be the season before you know it. You better jump on them, and you better jump on them in a hurry. They're the best. They pack up nicely. They they're durable. They look great. They you know if you're in if you're in a situation where you got to walk in and out a lot, you need dive bombs. You need to get the bags. Easy peasy. Can't beat them. Can't beat the price. So go to Dive Bomb Industries. Brought to you also by Seven Thirty Seven Duck Calls. Duck Calls made in Oklahoma. Blown all over the United States and Canada. Great duck call. Uh, that's what I blow, and if Big Daddy blows it, you should blow it too. That's 737duckcalls.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Boss Shot Shells. They're changing the game. Bismuth, way to go. Heavier shot, travels further, keeps the velocity. They've also, it's to, it's turkey season, they've also got Boss Tom. Special shot for those uh, long beards standing on the end of your gun barrel, so go to BossShotShells.com. They're also starting to copper plate their their pellets. It's going to hold a tighter pattern, and they're not going to charge you any more for that. It's an upgrade, and they're not even going to charge you anymore. They're just going to absorb the cost. That's the kind of company that they are. So go to BossShotShells.com. I can't talk today. Get what you need. And we're also brought to you by Lucky Duck, the leader in spinners. Get the ones waterproof. Oh, definitely. Get the waterproof ones. Got a remote control on them. You can run five to eight of them at a time. LuckyDuckDecoys.com, look them up, is the best spinners on the market. If you're going to field duck hunt, you need some spinners. And they've got out uh, turkey. Turkey, turkey full bodies. Turkeys and varmints. So. A varmint call. So look up LuckyDuck.com. Also, we're brought to you by Athlon Optics. Great optics, great glass, clear as a bell. It's what I use when I'm turkey hunting. It's what I use when I'm waterfowl scouting. They also sell scopes, everything else. AthlonOptics.com. Go to them right now. Get what you need. You need good binoculars, but you don't need to break the bank for them. So go to athlonoptics.com. Get them. We're also brought to you by Sea Light LEDs. Light up the sky. Light up the darkness. No more fumbling around in the dark. Put them on your truck, your trailer, your boat. Put them on your house as a security alarm, whatever the hell. Sea Light LEDs are the way to go. It's bow fishing time. Put them on them boats. Get out there on that water and shoot you some gar. And you can put them on your trailer for waterfowl season. It's never too early to talk about water and get prepared for waterfowl season. See a lot of LEDs, look them up. We're also brought to you by William and Chris Vineyards out of High Texas. It's a Texas wine. Sold at HEB, Whole Food, Central Market, all those all those good uh, good upscale, upscale supermarkets. They're not convenience stores. They're supermarkets. Yes, that's right. Or you can go to williamchriswines.com and you can order them online and they'll ship them to you. 
So you ain't even got to get out of your underwear to get a good bottle of wine. <laughs> get on the internet, order up some Mother's Day's coming up. Not too not too far away. It's next month. It's in May. And we're brought to you by Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. Been around forever. Home of the Big Honker Lodge. Home of the Big Honker Podcast, which we're doing right here at the Big Honker Lodge. Anyways, look us up. We're going to have some weekday dove specials. That's stanfieldhunting.com. Goose at west, W-E-S-T-E-X dot net. Or call me in the office, 940-658-3172. I answer the phone every day. So call the office, 940-658-3172. And we appreciate you listening to the Big Honker Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, you're in for a treat today. We have the goose god himself, Dave Reese. He's the man that I learned how to goose hunt from. He's always on his A-game. And he hunted here back in the late 90s and early 2000s and kind of when I was coming up. And he always took time to teach me whatever I needed to know. If I was having a problem blowing a goose call, he, he, you know, he'd teach me a couple different notes. If uh, he always, he was always an open book when it came to teaching me different things about goose hunting, about hiding, about setting spreads. And this was a fun podcast. He brought back a lot of memories. Uh, he's just, he, he is the ultimate professional. He is the ultimate goose killer. And we really, really enjoyed this podcast. So we hope that you do too. So here he is all the way from Fergus Falls, Minnesota. We used to call him the goose God back in the late nineties, Dave Reese. Here we go. Three, two, one. Boom. And welcome to the Big Honker Podcast brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries. I'm Jeff Stanfield. I'm Andy Shaver. And for all you young bucks out there, we have the, uh, what would you say, probably... The best goose hunting guide that I know. In North America? I would say so. Dave Reese, all the way from Fergus Falls, Minnesota. How are you, Dave? Oh, I'm pretty good. That's a hell of an accolade for me to call you the best goose guide in North America, or I think it would be. Yeah, that's that's a. You just gotta try. That's all you gotta do. Anybody can be good. No, they can't. You gotta be good at it. No, no, they. I'm gonna tell you from experience. I've had a lot of guys work for me. Lots of great guides. So I know I'm gonna butt hurt. Someone's gonna get mad at me. I'll get a message. Thanks a lot. Day in and day out, no matter what the conditions are, you produce geese. Limits of birds every single day. And you didn't bitch. You didn't whine. You never complained. You never, ever politic trying to get on a good field. I need these guys here that you just went out and did your job every day. And I think you're ranked number one as the best producer of any guy ever, ever worked here. Never had no complaints on you. That I remember. I'm sure probably somebody bitched about something because people bitch. But So I call you the greatest goose guide in North America. 
Uh, well, thank you, Jack. I don't know if anybody agree with you, but <laughs> well, most things I say, people don't agree with. So that's just. <laughs> um, and I can remember being a young kid looking up to you, and that was the one thing that I took away is that you never bitched about you know the the pick of the field or whatever. You just kind of took it with a smile on your face, and sure as shit, next day you'd come back and you'd have a handful of geese and happy clients. Well, that's that's what it's about. So, tell me... No, that's a lot of it. It's fun. You know, they're they're not only there to just shoot their geese. They're there to have... You know, you're an entertainer. You're not just... You're not just taking them out. That's right. You got to entertain them. When did you start guiding hunts, Dave? You know, I started probably when I was like 16, 17 in Rochester. And um, I worked as a machinist for a while and tried to do the goose thing at the same time. Um, you know, I turned in about 20 hours a day. <laughs> and then about the time I was kind of getting burned out of the machinist part and working in Rochester, guiding down there, um, at the same time, I um, went down to, let's see, I, I got in introduced uh, Randy Bartz, mm-hmm. and I started running a duck camp up here in northern Minnesota. And at the same time, you called me and um, said you were looking for a guide down there in Texas. And um, that next fall, there I was. <laughs> and, um, and God, I, did I work for you for six years or five or six years I worked for you, didn't yes. I, Jeff? Yes, sir. I think it was till about 2000. I think I started in 94, and I think it was about 2000 when I when I switched. Um, no, I had a lot of fun. had a lot of really good memories. Probably one of my greatest hunts I ever remember ever having was with you guys. Um, I could even tell you the field, and I can even tell you Tony was with me. Walk, walk us through the story. Um, we were at the Mathis. Ooh, the Mathis. The Mathis in the center of the Mathis. And I had, I think I had 19 guys. Tony was with me and a camera guy. Kiss Do you remember this hunt? It's Do you like, remember this hunt, Jeff? I, I, t- Not, talk more about it and I'll see if I do. Go ahead. Uh, 98 geese in 17 minutes. Whew. That's a lot of birds. Do you remember? I, yeah, I kind of do, do remember that. And the camera guy is usually I, the kiss of death. Oh, he was screaming at me because there was a branch running in between me and him. <laughs> and I wouldn't call the shot. Yeah. Because we were filming, you know. We wanted to make it look good for filming. The head of that tornado, you know, it was probably the largest flock of geese I'd, I'd had on me. And probably still to this day. Still the largest flock of geese I've ever had on me. Um, and it was probably close to a half a million birds. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember it or not, but it was it was one of the, the best hunts I can ever remember. The Mathis was a special place because it, for, for people, obviously not many people know what the Mathis is. It's a peanut field. How far would you say it is? Two miles from the roost? Two miles from the roost. It's a mile long and a quarter mile wide. 
and and back in the day it was all peanuts from the time from the from the north turn road to the south turn road it was it's two and pivots? it's going to be this year again. Is it two pivots? Yes, Jeff? two pivots. Two pivots of peanuts. And they planted the corners in peanuts too. Yeah. So, I mean, it was loaded with food. And it wasn't very far from the Roost Lake. And when they were in it, they were in it thick, right, Dave? Yeah. Yeah. You couldn't beat them out of there. No. Especially like that, like, especially that hunt there. I mean, it was every goose that was at, well, back then they all roosted at Davis. Mm hmm. You know, so, you know, very few, Winchester was just a little tiny pond that they'd shoot a few ducks on. It held no geese. It was a dry At that, that time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And almost everything come out of Davis. Well, and they all come at one time, and every goose in the county there wanted into the center of the Mathis. Yeah. Now, if they came from Davis, it was a longer flight, because Davis is up by, so Davis mi- would be 10 about miles 10 miles, a 10-mile flight for them. Yeah, yeah, and they all come at once. Yeah. And they all wanted in there. I can remember a hunt with you in the Mathis. With me? Andy. Yeah. Yeah. There's a picture the I've got. snowstorm hunt. I you do. remember the snowstorm hunt? I've talked about that on this podcast several times. Oh, have you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let, let's see if our stories match up. You you tell the story, and, and, and I'll uh, I'll take it over from my childhood memory. Okay, because you were pretty young. Now, I can't even remember. What were you? You probably, I don't even know if you had a driver's license. No, I, shit, no. no. He was I, probably 12 or 13. I was in, I think I was in the seventh or eighth grade. And I got to skip school was, that day. Yeah, yeah, well, it closed the yeah. whole area down for like three days, except for the guys that were from Minnesota that drove in the snow. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I remember. God, that was yeah, that was a crazy hunt. That was fun though. I, yeah, I, uh, I I remember uh, I remember a lot about. It. So you tell your version, and then I'll tell mine. All right. Well, we got up in the morning. Everybody else, all the other groups got canceled because they were snowed out at Dallas. Mm-hmm. My group come in um, a day before the snowstorm, so mine was stuck there. And um, I went out. I picked them up and. I had a big four-wheel drive with big aggressive tires on it, so I wasn't, and I, I'm used to driving in the snow, so it didn't really bother me. I think we got 16 inches of snow, if I were, mm-hmm. per, remember correctly, mm-hmm. it, which made a lot of big drifts out there in that country where every time there was some place for it to break the wind, it made a huge drift. And anyway, we got out there, and it took us about an hour from the lodge to get to the Mathis again. We pulled into the Mathis and there was about four feet of snow down the road. Yep. And um, I took my truck and we went from one end to the other, me and you. Mm-hmm. And I can just remember you, you screaming and hollering at me, slow down, there's <laughs> snow coming up through the floor. <laughs> what are you doing? Like, like just don't worry about it. We'll make it. Yeah. <laughs> so then we did. We went out there and we pulled into the field. And before we could even get any decoys out, the geese were the geese were just pulling off the units. Mm-hmm. And um, me and Andy threw out. I don't know what did we throw out. Two or three dozen. Yeah, shells, shells on the snow. Um, our guys were freezing cold. They had every color 
of stocking cap on. Mm-hmm. It looked like a rain, the rainbow, rainbow crew. Cause they were just trying to stay warm. You know, yep. we told them, put it, you know, every piece of clothes on you could. We lined them up in a, if I, we lined them up in a, there was a strip of cotton that was holding a whole bunch of snow. So we kind of had a little trench we took in through the snow Lined all them guys up, and I don't know. They, we couldn't stop them from in the decoys. No, you know what? It it took us maybe a half an hour, and we shot all their geese, and um, we we got them out. And it took us it took us longer to drive there and set everything up and drive back. It took us like maybe two hours, and it maybe took us twenty minutes to shoot our limit, and we were headed back to the lodge. Now let me and tell you. We were glad- let me tell you what I remember about that. I remember that the snow was so bad. First, you know, Texas boy, I, I don't remember a whole lot of snow growing up, but that was one that sticks out in my mind. And I remember uh, driving to the lodge. First, I remember stopping at the convenience store, coming to the lodge, and everybody looking at you like you're fucking crazy for going out in this shit. Oh yeah. Then I remember driving to the lodge. There was no center stripe. The way that you were navigating the road was you were looking for road signs. And if you were on either side of the road sign or in between the two, we were still on the road. And that was the only way you could tell because, you know, we're the first ones to drive this road at that hour of the day. Oh, yeah. So there's yeah, no, there was no other tracks anywhere. No tracks. <laughs> and we're just looking for uh, for road signs and those little uh, white things that, that when there's a, yeah, markers. And we were just, that was, that's how you were navigating. Then I remember picking up the guys. Stopping at the gas station again on the way to the field, and same thing, except now the manager was at the gas station. He's like, y'all are fucking crazy. And, uh, yeah, I remember the shells, and I, like you said, couldn't beat them out of, couldn't beat them out of that field. I'll tell you that. Yeah, they'd hit their, they'd hit their head, they'd hit the ground, and they just tucked their head under their wing. It was uh, so nasty. And like, you know, and they were coming from the Eunice, which is... A couple hundred yards, three hundred yards away from that field, probably from, from the Mathis, and it was a, it was crazy because I I never hunted like that, you know. I've always hunted, always hunted big big spreads of silhouettes, and then we throw out two three dozen of those big big shells, and that's all we did, and it worked out great. Uh, here's the here's my version of this story now, not the hunting end of it, but the snowstorm. We were going to get rain. that It was supposed to rain that day. It was not supposed to be cold enough to be snowing, and it started snowing. The morning before, I had went duck hunting with Matt Reagan and Dad, and we shot, we shot a bunch of ducks, and it was raining. It was a cold, miserable freaking rain that started snowing, and it turned to snow, and you guys had goose groups. The goose groups, you got you, your guys got out of here before it got snowing hard. By lunchtime, we'd already had two or three inches of snow on the ground. The group that was coming in, Dave, your guys weren't here. They were coming. I canceled everybody, but that guy got mad at me because I wouldn't cancel his hunt. He got pissed off. I mean, cussed me out and stuff. Got, I'm picking guys up at the airport. It's just raining here. I said, buddy, it's snowing here. I said, if you get here, we'll hunt you. We'll get you in the field, but you got to get here, and I don't think you can get here. And they didn't get here till like 10 o'clock that night. And, um, and so you guys met him here, and at the guide house at that time was across the street from our house, wasn't it? Yeah, either that or it was Ronnie. No, it was probably across across the street there. Yeah, it yeah, was the you, one across the you street. You lived across the street from us. And I remember that morning, 
because I, I told Michelle that night because they were already going to delay or cancel school. I told her, I said, no matter if they go to school or not, I said, my rule is if they cancel school and make school late, the boys can go hunting if they want to because they don't count them late. Boys all made straight A's. I never had to worry about them making their grades. So Andy got to go hunting. Well, me and Dad and Matt were also going to go duck hunting that morning on the Bettis water hole. And so me and Zach were going to go. When I got up and looked, when you when I heard you start your truck, and I woke Andy up, and I opened our front door, and our Christmas decorations only could see the top of them in the yard. I was like, motherfucker, it snowed a bunch last night. <laughs> and I, I'll never forget y'all left. And then Michelle was worried. And I told her, I said, you ain't got nothing to worry about. Dave knows what the fuck he's doing. He's going to take care of Andy. You don't have to worry about that shit. They got clothes. They're good. They can walk, they can walk back to town if something happens. Well, then I got up. Because that's before the days of cell phones. Yes. So y'all left to go hunting. And me and Zach got in my big Suburban, with big, and it had big oversized tire stuff. And I, we went to hunt at the Bettis Waterhole, and we were driving through the Bettis Waterhole, and I drove through the son of a bitch looking for it. Every, all the electric fences were down, were blown over for us. And I got back to the lodge, and y'all come driving in with a band truck full of geese. That, that's my end of the story. It was a great day. And that customer, I couldn't believe they made it here from Dallas. He couldn't believe it either. Yeah, they had big Suburbans. I remember they had two big black Suburbans that were had pretty good rubber on them. So I said, just stay in my tracks. Yeah. I'll, <laughs> you know? I'll never forget your uh, your pickup. Yeah, the, 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 I, I rode with you one time out here, and the, the, the floor was rusted out from the Minnesota rust. Yeah, that's how snow was coming yeah. in the floorboard. And I'm driving, I thought, motherfucker, I don't want to put my foot through that hole and hit the ground or some shit. I'd and, forgotten about that detail. <laughs> Oh yeah, that sucker had more holes in it. It was a salt truck. Jesus <laughs> that Christ, that sucker did boy. <laughs> 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 loud. I bought it. It was it was fifteen different colors when I bought that thing, but it had a three twenty seven vent motor in it, so I went to go went to beat hell. What kind of gas yeah. mileage would you get on that? Oh, should I ten maybe <laughs> seven? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most of the time it was probably seven because we were either going somewhere doing something now you 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 grew up hunting in rochester minnesota your brother has a yeah. had a guide service there steve and you and and you you grew up around randy bartz didn't you yep yep actually randy's who got me kind of started in most of this goose calling and i, I grew up a mile and a half away from randy wow. so you know i was kind of maybe destined to start blowing goose calls and doing that kind of stuff but Randy's always really been good, and anytime you know we ever needed help, or, and we hunted. I, when I was a kid, I even hunted with him a little bit too. You know, um, that's probably why we got to be so close and got to do the things we did. The young guys today that are in the waterfowl business, these flat bill cap wearing dudes, they have no idea who Randy Bartz is, and that's a shame because Randy's one of the pioneers in the waterfowl business. Oh yeah, with the flag, the flags. Mm-hmm. The, you know, they they may not know his name, but they've heard of the flag man. Right, sure. right. You know, they'll say, oh, I don't know Randy Bard, so have you ever heard of the flag man? Because, mm-hmm. you know, he, Randy was one of the, he was literally the first one to come out with the V flag. Right. You know, the the flag stuff come out, Sean Mann and a lot of that, that area come from that East Coast, and they were using, like, square black flags. Right back then and um randy was kind of the first one that ever come up with the, the v flag randy's a gadget guy i always had more gadgets than anybody i've ever known in my life 
Oh my God! Yeah, he always, and he's still that way. <laughs> I don't even know. He, he's he still sells flags, but he works on more gadgets for his flags than I've. You know, he's still doing that. Randy's probably he's pushing eighty now. Wow! Wow! He's doing he's doing good. And um, a few years ago, I I think. Well, maybe four or five years ago, he was inducted to the Waterfall of Hame. Was it up at Kansas City there? Mm-hmm. He was inducted into that. Into so, what was he inducted I mean, into? Um, they they have this Waterfall Hall of Fame. I mean, oh, wow. I didn't know about it. That's interesting. Up in, I think it's in. Uh, I think it might be in like Mound City in Kansas there. I can, I, you know, I have to, I have to find out exactly what one it is, but that's what I, you know, that that happened. I don't know, four or five years ago. You know, he'll be in there with the, the names like Tim Grounds and all them guys. You know, well, um, if there's anybody that deserves it, it, it'd be Randy Bartz. I mean, he brought he brought forth the the modern flag that we all use every day. Oh yeah, yeah, and you know, a lot of my success down there was due to doing flagging and stuff like that. Flagging was just important as calling and everything else Yeah, on certain, on certain days. 100%. But, and, you know, you know, a lot of people don't hunt lessers, but w- when you watch a lesser feed the night before, it's constant commotion. It's con- all over. And, y- y- you know, it, it's constant uh, domestic disturbance. One goose gets into another goose's territory. That goose runs them off. You know, they're, yeah, they're, they're very aggressive. Very, very aggressive, very active, and there's a lot of motion to them. So, uh, flagging is important. Um, if you can, if you got wind socks, wind socks help because you know that adds that uh, that key motion element. The, the yeah, and see, we even did some of that stuff before the wind socks. You know, I don't remember if you remember some yeah. of that stuff we had. Yep. but they'd be like half of a wind sock, just anything for movement and. You know that movement was a pretty key thing when, you, when the wind, when especially when the wind didn't blow. Right. You know everybody. That was the days that it was going to be the toughest when the wind didn't blow because your birds. It was hard to get them to center mm-hmm. up on you. You know, and I think oh, when I started with you guys, my average group was like fourteen to sixteen guys. Right. <laughs> um, which I, you know, that was great because we could kill you know, eighty hundred birds every day. Yeah. Um, you know, and that was what, you know, when I was much younger, that was what it was all about, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, the the flag that I remember you carrying the most is that big, uh, oh, it's just a big piece of cloth on a big dowel rod, and you'd wave that fucking oh. thing up. <laughs> you know, yeah, that was, you know, it turned out that was, you know, we, we set that thing up as a joke. Yeah. You know, and... It was a piece of cloth, a black cloth mm-hmm. that, what was it, four by six? Yeah, something. I mean, it looked like I mean, it looked like the American flag, only black. Except it was black with a little bit of, I think it had some white spray painting on it. Yeah, you had I a... I think I said you, it had a nice day on it. Yeah, and you had a smiley face. And ro- yeah, and ro- it was a, have a nice day have, on it. Have a so. nice day. Yeah. I, and, but, but it worked, you know, a couple times, you know, when them birds... We're going in a different direction or something. 
and you flip something big, huge, and black up above your decoys, they just assume that it's more geese, I guess. Yep. Um, Yeah, definitely that thing did work. Um, I didn't use it all the time. No, no, no. But if you found yourself out of the flight line or the flight line shifted on you and it shifted a mile one way or the other. Oh, yeah. Put that thing up, run around the spread like a madman and... You'd be surprised how often it well, works. Well, that's what I had you for. That's what I had you for. Yeah. That's why you remember it. That's, that big flag, Andy. Yeah, the big flag. <laughs> Take it and run around the spread. You you were real in, innovative, though, because you did things a little different sometimes. I remember one time things were getting hard one year in January, and they were we had stale birds. You know, we had the same. And, and when we say this, people don't realize we used to winter a half million to a million birds here in about a 15-mile circle. So – we were still had two or three hundred thousand birds here, and they'd be like, "Golly, you can't be bitching about that." Well, you see the same two or three hundred thousand birds day in and day out with four groups of guys running ten guys. You start getting them pretty smart, and we were we were at a time where it was getting a little tough, and you kept killing limits every day, and everybody else was struggling, man, to kill a limit or get close to limit. And you were done at eight eight thirty every morning. So Johnny Rockert told me one time, he goes, "Hey, did you see Dave spread this morning?" I said. <laughs> Yeah, I see it every morning unless y'all are picked. A lot of times y'all picked up because I used to drop the boys off at O'Brien at junior high and then I would go to the fields and scout. And y'all, a lot of times y'all were done picking up one time I'd get there. And it wasn't cell phone days where you could text me. Remember the radios we used to use, Dave? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah. so I come, um, I said, yeah. He said, what's the spread look like? I said, I don't know. It just looked like a spread. He was picking up when I got there. Tomorrow, go early and see if you can see what a spread is because he won't tell me what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> And, and you, I remember, I remember screwing with Johnny. I remember screwing with all them guys because, you know, they'd all, you know, what are you doing different? What well, I change my set every day. Mm-hmm. And after you hunted all them fields, you always kind of knew which way the birds would want to come into you. You know, now, even now, when it, you say that that they bounce off of stuff, you you just mean like uh, if there was a pivot head or something like that, they'd hit it and then just slide to your to your spread, so you'd adjust it accordingly. Yeah, yep. Oh, that's you know when you see that well head, you yeah. know if it was downwind of you, you know, and not all the time, but a lot of times, them birds think it's something besides a well head. Mm-hmm. You know, and they'll kind of screw around it. Well, that helps you set up on your set. Right. You, you know, if you can push them birds one way or the other, and same with the flag. You know, we were, we learned to use them flags at certain times so you could turn them birds so they'd set her up. Yeah. For, you know, you'd line 20 guys up in a spread. you got quite a wide spread to cover. Right. And you got to get them to the center. So, so is that something? Is that something that you do up? Uh, you know, you hadn't been down here in a while, but do you, do you have obstacles like that in Minnesota? You have wellheads and pivots and stuff like that that you, you that know, you use to your advantage now. Know, I got one spot. Um, it's I got power lines, and you know the, they only go yeah. so close to them power lines, and um, you know I I probably learned that technique down there, really right. to tell you the truth, because. Um, there was, you know, there's wellheads everywhere in mm-hmm. them peanut fields because yep. they're a water and power and you need all that stuff down there. Um, not so much up here. You know, I like the big open. I look for a, a knob. You know, it's not as flat in most mm-hmm. of the places. That, you know, the big thing down there, everything was so flat, you know. 
made sure, I mean, movement didn't really make much difference. You know, you, you watched all of our, them guys would roll around, moving, flashing. Most of the time, the geese didn't care as long as your set was big enough. Yeah. You know. So that's interesting. So that, you, You never knew that, did you? I never knew that. I always told you guys it was that secret lucky mallard I carried around. (laughs) So you would, so, so. I'll, I'll be damned. I'm gonna t- I'm gonna use that this year. So you any any obstacle in the field, you'd use that to your advantage and and bounce birds and funnel them towards you. Yeah. So they you know if they look like they're gonna go off to the side of you, you know you set your you know a lot of times we'd use you know a lot of times we use like a uh, one of my favorite set was like that Nike Swish. Yep. Yep. You know I would mm-hmm. I'd line that wellhead off the end of that Swish so. They wouldn't go off the outside of me and go off the back side. They'd push out in front of me, and then I could pull them in. Fucker. I, could, I could pull them in straight in front of me. The fucking stars are aligning now. I can, I can, you I can see, see it, it huh? I see it all now. Cocks up. It ain't so, always your decoys you got to worry about. It's all the crap around you. Well, you know, fucking the light bulbs are dinging in my head now. You see here, you are you. You, you've been guiding since you were, I mean, you've, you're 15 years as a guide, Andy. 20. Or 20 years, and you're learning something. That's what's amazing. That's why people that are listening to this, you're getting into this, because we got a lot, of, a lot of new hunters that listen to this all the time. You can learn a lot by listening to these guys talking. Dave is teaching a good lesson right here. Yeah. I mean, something I, that I never thought of, and I get pissed, you know, especially when you hunt a lot of geese, that a lot of times they backside you and come in goofy, especially if there's no wind, they have a tendency to slide, and... Just figured out how to not make them slide is just put a fucking wellhead off to the side. <laughs> hey, Dave, Dad tells a story all the time about one of the things he remembers is the day that you had the goose land on your board and it was pecking on your uh, shell decoy. Do you remember that? Oh, God, yeah. You know what? Now you, you say that, yes, I do. And yeah, I do. And um, I didn't know if anybody even seen that. Yep, Dad did. But he your, talks about but it all the time. Your father did, you know, and it was it was hilarious. I can't even believe I was able to call after yeah. that damn <laughs> goose stood on my board and stretched over and got three inches away from the end of my call and left at the end of it, you know. And he stood there for a while. Yeah, Dad says the damnedest thing. So wish he'd had a camera. And, and you say he was turning his head to your call, wasn't he? He was He's looking down the looking end at of you? my call, thinking, was, "What in the he hell was is there, this?" You know, back then we used boards, mm-hmm. and then Still do. over the boards, I'd stick a great big G and H shell, you know, to kind of cover up, so you had something to kind of hide behind. Right. And that goose landed on right on my feet, you know, which would have been the board. And right. then when I kept on calling, because you know, you get when you got you know five, six thousand geese circling you, you got to make as much noise as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And um, so I kept on calling, and um, this bird, he looked, he he couldn't really tell that I was there. He was, you know, he was just another goose in the spread. Right. And But he could hear me, so all of a sudden I see him, he turned his head around and stretched right over the top of that big shell. <laughs> and I ain't kidding you, his head was maybe three or four inches from the end of my call. That's crazy. And, and he's like a dog, you know, when a dog, you make a funny noise or something, they kind of look at look at you and turn their head back mm-hmm. and forth. 
that damn goose was doing the same thing. <laughs> he could not figure out how all that noise was coming out of the end of that hole. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I made it for a minute or two after he, when he started turning his head and looking down the end of the call. Mm-hmm. Right, I mean, face to face with me, I just couldn't take it anymore, and I started laughing, and I couldn't blow my call. I couldn't even call the shot. Yeah, I think geese were landing all over the place, and I was laughing so hard. You know, <laughs> now you started. Even... You started carrying a machete after that, didn't you? No, the machete was a sandhill crane thing. Oh, okay. I got caught. Me and Tony, we you guys had. I had a day off. I didn't have many, but I, um, me and Tony were out scouting, and we were watching a group at the Bettis Waterhole. And a, a pair of cranes come by, and they were kind of high, and the boys shot at them, and they crippled one. Mm-hmm. And it was muddier than hell. Well, that, that crane went about three miles to the north. It almost, you know... So me and Tony, we we go after it because it's a cripple, and um, we get out to the bird, and we decide um, none of us have a gun. Oh, no, we had a gun, but it was a rifle, so that did us no good. Right. I said, well, I'm not afraid of nothing, you know, so I'll go after it. Through the mud, you know, and 500 pounds of mud on your boot, I'm chasing this crane. I get it all the way back to the bed is water. And after you run a mile through the mud and you, you're chasing, I'd walk, that thing would walk. And I'd run, it would run. It couldn't fly. We broke a wingtip. Well, I get it. I, after walking about a mile and a half back to the bed is water hole, I'm on the opposite side of the hunter's. Went and got this chain or this crane chased right back there. Well, I get to the water hole. I'm so tired that I'm tired from 500 pounds of mud on there and the mile and a half walk through it. We get to the water and that crane decides he don't want to run no more. He wants <laughs> to ready. fight. He's ready to fight. Yeah, and all I got on me is my hat. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so. This crane's eye to eye with me, and he's pissed off. And um, he's he looks like you know, looks like a guy with a butcher knife <laughs> pointed at yeah. you. Yeah, he's ready. He's got his head cocked back, and he's ready to fight. And I got my hat. I'm defending myself with my hat, <laughs> and I'm yelling at the group that's 200 yards away from me on the other side of the pond. <laughs> Somebody get your ass over here with a gun and shoot this <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's where I said after that, I started throwing, I had a machete that I threw in the back of the truck. And I thought, you know, that's way better than a hat. Yeah. So now, I, never did, I never did decapitate anything with it, but it was there just in case. You You hunted back when, Dad used to hunt every day, didn't he? Pretty much. Yeah, and he was a yeah. he was a Ron real quick shot to and he could go from sleeping to shooting in one second. You know, and he'd be still be when you'd say kill him, he'd be the first guy to shoot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and he'd be sleeping. You'd hear him over there snoring, and you'd get the K out to kill him or you know take him or whatever. We'd say, um, I used to say all kinds of different things, so it. Kill kill those motherfuckers one time. I remember that. <laughs> I know Jesse always used. To 
give me hell about kill them. That's right. <laughs> you know what they take them, Dave? Yeah. Oh, I know. I just excited, you know. <laughs> but Dad My used to hunt every day. Met. You know, he did. Yeah, he'd go out with Tony and Tony and Ron. He usually hunted every day. It was usually. Um, how long did Johnny work for us? Like three? Two, was he there two, three years? Two years. Two, two years. Two years. You know, um, a lot of times it was me and Tony and Johnny and Ron. You know, we yeah. were the only four there for a few years. Yeah, um, then we hired Jamie. Dave Gertz. Yep, and Gertz Jamie. Ca- Gertz Holtby. came back. Yep, and Gertz came back. Hey, uh, you also hunted with Beavis back in the day too, didn't you then? Beavis. Oh, yeah. Yep. Well, Tony's, he was a good dog. Yeah, he was a good dog. Um, um, and Puff, I Puff, remember. Puff. Yeah, that was that was Ron. Dog. That, was, that was Ron's. That dog. was Ron's favorite female. Yes. Yep. Had um, nipples dragging the ground almost all. Yeah, well, Forty-seven liters of puppies. That'll happen. She had a lot she of pups did. over the years. I think she, she sure did. Uh, we also, when you worked for us, played one of the greatest pranks ever up here. Do you remember the uh, Dave Gertz prank with the? Uh, the girl sending the panties. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell that story. I don't real quick. think That's... I don't think we ever told him any different. <laughs> no, I don't think we did either. So go ahead and tell that story. Sorry, Dave, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I don't remember. Did you send flowers? What, what What happened was there was a girl, and her name was Amy. We won't say her last name, but I still remember this to this day. And you came in the room. And you told me, you said, oh, God. You said, boy, I got Gertz's asses all chapped. I said, what about? You go, his old girlfriend is a girl that I know. And I just brung her name up. And he got real defensive about her. Mm-hmm. And I said, no shit. So that night at dinner, we were all sitting there eating. And the phone rang. And I picked it up and had somebody call me. And I was like, oh, uh, oh, Dave. Uh, which, which Dave? Oh, Dave Reese. Okay, who is this? And I said, Amy, whatever her name is. I gave you the phone. And you walked outside and played like you were on the phone with her. Well, he was all craned his old ear up listening, trying to figure <laughs> out what was going on. And you just come in with that shit-eating smile that you got, and you just kind of laughed and gave me the phone. And he's just kind of staring at you, and you're like, what? He goes, well, do you have something to tell me? And you go, no, why? And then we sent some flowers. And yeah, then I remember we took you guys it. sending the flowers. I remember some of it. but Yeah, yeah. at the house. We, we did so many. We did so many prick or pranks and we were always doing stuff to each other yes well we sent flowers to the house and he answered the door and it was some roses to dave and he thought his wife sent them to him Mm -hmm. and then it was to you from that girl yeah then it really then he really kind of got worked up a little bit then you you got a hold of the girl and you had her send some panties and an envelope down here and some stuff and yeah Yeah, he was mad oh he got all fucking worked up we never told him any different no, I I never did either. Yeah, he always. <laughs> I haven't I haven't seen Dave for, how I bet twenty years. I bet it's been at least that long, Jeff. He was the first Minnesota guy that worked for me, and I had a good I had a good run with Minnesota guys. Matter of fact, the Minnesota guys I had all were good. Most of them were all damn good hunters, real good. Because after you left, Josh Mason come here, and Josh was a damn good hunter. Yeah, I think you were here for one year with Josh. Oh, yeah, yeah, he was um, actually the first time Josh ever hunted was up here in Minnesota with me, mm-hmm. and he was, I don't even, he was 16 years old, 
the first time he ever hunted and the goose hunting was kind of tough in rochester and my brother steve was running was on the guide service and i was just working for him and um me and josh went out and it was a couple of he was actually it was both well when we started we both could blow a goose call pretty good um but we went out, my brother sent us out with 11 guys, and we went to this south field south of Rochester and Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And um, we went down, and we shot our, we got our 22 birds, our 22 graders that morning, and Steve was, you, we got to hunt you guys together all the time. You did better than everybody else. <laughs> and um, me and Josh always got along really good, and, after Johnny left, I think is I said, well, I know a couple guys that are good callers, and um, Josh was Josh was one of the better ones, without a doubt. Um, Josh blows the call better than I do, so I mean, maybe maybe not as many things as I blow, but he blows the call better than I. Do. He, he was a really good hunter, and, and you know, Dan Rittenauer, you brung down, and Dan was a good hunter. Which Dan come down just to hang out with you, and he stayed yeah. for like forty days. He was going to yeah. come for a week, and then he never left. But he was a, yeah. he was a, he was he was a real good hand also. Um also you brought some things here. You were the first person I ever seen with a Mojo Duck. You showed up the second season you worked for me and you told me you said, "Hey, come out here in my truck. I want to show you something." I go, "What is it?" He goes, "Man, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life." And you showed it to me and I thought, "Fuck, that ain't no way." He said, "I'm telling you, this some bitch pulls these ducks in like crazy." And I thought there's no fucking way and then that, that was the big rage after that. I mean, but you were the first person I knew, and I think well, someone up you know, had brung one up to Minnesota where y'all hunted. What's What's really funny is one of the guys that um, he's from Louisiana. His you remember John Clark? Yes. Well, John, he knew some guy out in California that actually come out with the first spinning wing decoy. And um, it wasn't even a spinning wing decoy. It was just basically a flasher on the ground. Mm-hmm. And that's where it originally come from. And we had uh, we probably had the first couple prototypes up here of the actual duck back then. And the farmers, everybody drive by and they'd look at us like, you guys are crazy. You know, we'd use like one spinner and throw out a dozen full-bodied goose decoys. And we just wear the ducks and the geese out you know we'd be out in corn and stuff like that and it was like a magnet when they first come out you know to throw out one one flasher and not have to fall out any full bodies to get them to come and land at your feet um was an amazing thing and you know it's funny now mojo and them are coming up with these uh lucky duck and everybody's coming up with these these flock of flicker things that are on the ground now and they're awesome. You know what? Yeah, and, I started but that's what using they... them a couple years ago. And, oh, my God. You know, the, the thing I like about them is they last like two weeks when you set them out. Mm-hmm. They, you can yeah. run, they will almost run for almost two weeks solid off them batteries in them. I was in shock. I couldn't believe that it would run that long. Well, I remember. Um, Go ahead, Dave. What's Oh, and they work. I mean, uh, they add that extra movement to that set where you didn't have it. They work really good. I haven't tried them so much on the land, but they work really good on the water. And I'm not a real big believer of the spinner on the water anymore. 
Well, but why, I, why is that? Why is that, Dave? I don't know. They just I don't know if they've seen it so much, but they seem to work way better over land than they ever have on water. Right. Well, we you use know, the shit out of the spinners on their land. Boy, they work good in field hunting. They're they're yeah they are they are the thing to have if you're over land. They are the best thing in the world. Um, you know, sometimes the geese they'll flare off them and stuff like that. Um, but now, like a lot of them, got them so you can shut them off, turn them on, so you don't have that flash. Yeah, the the lucky ducks you can you can program you can program them all off of, off of one remote and. Because the lessers will not do it if if there's a spinner going, so you got to. But it's handy. Program everything and then click it off whenever birds are coming, and click it back on when you see ducks in the air. Yeah, that's that's what pretty much I think everybody does now. I, well, I think we learned that we the guy that made that one in California for the ducks. You remember he wanted one. He made one for the geese too. Yeah. God, it was. The thing he said it cost him like five hundred dollars to make, you know. And he sent me one to test, and I brought it down to Texas with me, and we tested. We set that sucker up, and we put it behind us, and it was splashing to be held with black and white. And that first flock of geese come out, and they got to about a hundred yards, and it looked like somebody said, "Kill them!" So fast that. Oh, that wasn't good. And then we tried another one. And it didn't work, and so I shut it off. And then the next bunch of birds come right in. Yeah. And um, I think we might have tried it once or twice, but then we learned that geese do not like flashing. You know, if they see flashing, it usually means they're getting out of there. Um, you know, where ducks don't, it don't mean the same thing. I'll tell you what. Go ahead, Dave. It was a pretty neat, um, it it was a big learning experience, you know. Waterfall is always changing, and it's always going to be changing. So the biggest thing you can always remember is be able to adapt to that situation. Don't get stuck in the ways of old. Don't get stuck in the spreads that you're setting. No, there's always something new, always something different. Um, you know, you know how many times did I tell you? Whatever you do, just do what the birds do, and you can't go wrong. Right, and that's you know, uh, it, you know I one thing that I tell a lot of people is just try try different things. If it doesn't work, you don't have to be on your A game all the time if you're just hunting with your buddies. So try different things. If it doesn't work, you just had a bad hunt. You learn from it and you move on. You had bad hunts, Andy. <laughs> yeah, every, every every once in a while, but you, you, you know the 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 do it yourselfer guy that you know is afraid to set outside of the decoys or something. Just fucking yeah. try it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You just had a bad hunt with two of your friends. Who gives a shit? You know, it, you know, it's like that decoy thing. You know, everybody sets up with their win, or they used to. That it's more so you see a little more cross cross action now but nobody ever used to cross wind them no you know set your decoys up in front of you and leave your guys on the side you know it was always make sure the wind's straight at your back yeah you know and that ain't always necessary especially when they they want to slide in sideways all the time you know lessers are famous for that they like to come in sideways 
and and I, you know, quite frankly, I love crosswinding them now because, like you said, you know, your average group size here is twelve to fifteen. Yep. Uh, your hide is not always going to be ideal. You're not always going to have. You're not always going to blend in. So crosswind them. Keep the eyes off of you. Keep the eyes off of your hide. And uh, yeah, I, I love crosswinding them. It, it's yeah. my favorite way to do it, especially when you got that asshole that doesn't want to hide. Yeah, and there's always one of them. Yeah. The, hey, Dave. You know, you can pick it. You pick them out every time when they you come mm. in. They beat them. You, it's the guy everybody picks on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it is. And he, it really is. It's the guy everybody picks on, and he's the guy you got to have closest to you. Yep, because uh, he's the one you got to watch. Now, <laughs> a minute ago, a minute ago, you talked about John Clark. Yep. And John, John hung out here with us for a little bit, off and on. John's got a friend that you got a. We all have a mutual friend, Randy Gary. Is he I not one of the Randy. coolest dudes in the world? What's that? Can you hear me? He is one of the coolest guys in the waterfowl. I think. Oh God, Randy, Randy Gary is is yeah. an awesome guy. Yeah, you know what? I I got to know him when he was young. I I guess you know we I've talked to him maybe a couple times in the last five years. You know, and it's mostly through a Facebook thing or something like that. Or you know, um, I don't see or talk to them guys too much that much anymore. Um, Randy's Randy's a he's a wild man. Oh my God, we yes. had fun. He come and seen me in Minnesota. I went and actually stayed with him in Louisiana for a week or two, and but that's a number of different stories. So, <laughs> <laughs> Randy Randy was on the podcast with us last year, and Randy's a cool, cool guy. And I remember when I took me and we were at a hunting show. Shit, I'm gonna say probably 20 years ago. And Randy come up and was talking to me, and he had you know his hair's his hair's no different now than it was back yeah. then except it's got grayish in it i'm sure now but anyways he had duck hunting or duck tattoos up and down his body and all kinds of stuff and he come up and talked to me and he had lanyard you know bands and stuff all on it and we visited for a long time and i'd got to know randy through hunting shows and talked to him he walked off and zach had to be about six or seven and zach looked up at me and zach said that's one cool dude right there <laughs> <laughs> i'll never forget that <laughs> I thought, yeah, he is, but he is a really, he's a good guy, and he's one of them interesting people you meet in the waterfowl world. What, what, do you, what do you, what are you doing these days, Dave? What am I doing? Yeah, what are you doing for work now? You're you running a hunt club, don't you? I run a hunting club up here in Fergus Falls for a private guy, and um, I run about twenty thousand acres now. And um, I got, I don't know, I got like, like almost twenty sets of different pits in different wow. fields and you know God, i've been doing it for 30 years you know it's um it's kind of nice you know it's it's not the layout stuff that we go after we do a lot of you know our a lot of our birds will go into a town for safety or you know we'll have open water in town and you know nobody can get at them well then they come out of town and mm-hmm. you know if we got 10 20,000 birds here it's we got plenty of birds here to hunt. You know, at our peak, we may have 100,000 here. And that ain't much for what you guys are, but it's all graders. Right. You know, and um, so we we hunt them a lot. You know, it just depends on what time of year. You know, I start in September, and our season ends at Christmas. Um, you know, the first part of maybe the first month and a half, I don't even really mess with the geese. I go after the ducks because that's what my camp members want. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I mean, we do shoot geese too, but um, the ducks are what we really want until November. And then when November gets here, we kind of, I switch gears and trying to go after the mallards. The mallards in the field and the geese out in the field, you know. Um, so it's, it's, it's still, God, I'm trying to think. I started in 94 and it's 2019. I don't even keep track of how many 20 from 20. <laughs> um, been doing it ever since. Um, I love it. And I, haven't worked a day in my life, I feel <laughs> like, because um, I've loved every minute of it, and I've been very blessed to meet the people that I've met. And now, I don't do you, go ahead. I'm sorry. You know what? I don't ever take for granted that um, I was very lucky and to be able to come down there and learn what I got to learn and do what I got to do down there. Uh, I'll never, I wouldn't trade a day of it any for anything. Um, it's all pretty special in my mind. So, um, it may have, you know, it, it was work, but it wasn't work. You know what I mean, Andy? I mean, when you love it, you just, you love it. You got to take the good with the bad and everything that you do. Yeah. You got to think like, look, maybe in once in them five years I worked for Jeff, I had one guy that I can honestly say that I took his gun away from him put it in his case and told him to go back to the set or go back to his truck and wait till it's to finish. Was he hung over? No, he kept on, he quick shot us and I don't know, you know, it wasn't a big group. It was only like 10 or so. And, um, the guy, the birds would get to about 80 yards and he'd start shooting at them. Jeez. And you know, you know, that don't do it for me. I want them, you know, 10 mm-hmm. and, um, I was nice the first time. I asked him, you know, please don't do that. You know, I got a kind of rule that I, I do it at the first time. I go up to him nice and calmly. I don't let nobody else really see me. And I says, you know what? Everybody pays for the hunt. You got to wait for me to call the shot, you know. Mm-hmm. And then the second time, I usually get a couple of their buddies involved and say, well, you know, he's kind of ruining your guys' hunt. And then they say something. And nine times out of ten, that takes care of it. Yep. You know, their buddies start saying something like, come on, you know, quit being an ass or whatever. And that usually always takes care of it. And the third time, I'm usually not so nice about it. It's like you're fucking everybody's hunt up. You need to wait until everybody shoots or, you know, until I say kill them. Because they're all paying for a hunt that you're screwing up right now. Right. And, um, so in after, if they do it the third time, the fourth time I, I walked over to him, I unloaded his gun, I put it in the case and I asked him nicely to go to his truck. And I told him, if Jeff don't, if Jeff don't give you your money back, I will. I do not want you in my set. <laughs> and, and that's what he went back and I, he complained to Jeff and Jeff turned around and he says, well, you know, Dave's been working with me all these years, and you're the first asshole who's ever <laughs> said anything. And if Dave says he wanted to out of his suit, I think you need to leave the lodge right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I don't... think Jeff gave you, I think you gave him his money back and told him he didn't need to come back again. Yeah, there's no um, reason to put up with that shit from them people. 99% you know, of the times, my guide's been right. 
happened. I'm not saying it hadn't been, you know, sometimes the guides make a mistake, but 99% of the time the guide is right. I never had any issues with any of your guys. I mean, that was it. I mean, it was really. No, then that, that was the only time I'd ever really had to, you know, put my foot down and say, you know what, this is enough. You need to, you need to step away. And you know I me, mean? I, I, I take a lot. <laughs> yeah. Hey, in, in, in all your travels and all the places you go, have you had a better chocolate chip cookie than you have here? Michelle still makes the best damn chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> yeah. So do I, you uh, like do you like hunting out of the pits as much, or do you like being mobile? You got to realize I'm I'm pushing fifty now, so so um, you like it then. I, I'm going to be in a pit over any time of layout time. You know, if you know if I'm going to lay out, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to shoot my limit of ducks and geese. Yeah, it's you know otherwise. I'm going to sit in a nice heated pit, kick my feet back. Um, if it's snowing, blowing, raining, whatever, throw the cover over your top of your head, um, sit and talk. You know, the pit thing is kind of even nicer because you can sit and talk to your clients. Um, you know, when we do the layout, well, sometimes that, that end guy is 40 yards away from you. You know, after yeah. you put 10 guys on each side of you. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I, the pit hunting's a little more gentleman, but it also I'm not done at nine o'clock every day either. Right. You know, I may hunt all day, but at least you're comfortable. You know, you're not laying on the cold ground. Not if it's cold, I got a heater in the. <laughs> I got heaters in the pits. And, um, now I've so, never hunted out of a pit, so it. it what when, I'm when getting you at come is, up it, here, it, then. Yeah, I know. I need to. I, I need to. But what I'm getting at is, if 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 it's not right where the birds want to be in that field, how do you you know? Is it a problem pulling it over? Do you deal with birds short stopping you quite a bit, or is uh, is that not so much of a problem? You know, it's if you do your research on your pits. You know, I've been putting pits in for thirty, forty years, or yeah, probably forty years. And if you do your research, the birds always like a certain spot in that mm-hmm. field it may be it may be a raise um of two feet in 500 yards you know especially like down there i can give you a, probably the best example of it and that you guys would really know um right in the middle of larry shorts's field on the yeah. brown Yes. There's a there's a right in the middle of that sucker. There's a little raise that comes up about five feet, and it's right in the middle of that whole section of Larry's. But that sucker only comes up. You can't even hardly see it from the road. But if you get out there and you're standing on the bottom end of it, it comes up about five feet. Mm-hmm. And them geese, no matter if they're in there or whatever, if you have decoys on it, they always would land on it. Right. And, um, you know, it's, they just got spots they like. And if you, you can pick up them spots and that's where you want to put your pits, right. you know, how, how um, long will you look at a spot before you decide that's where it go? That's where the pit should go. Oh God. Sometimes it's years, mm-hmm. you know, it's just hunting, you know, like how I, you know, you always put that mental, I always put that mental note in my, the fourth time I've seen them in that spot. And that's where they start. It isn't where they finish. It's where they right. start. It's where they it's where they start. You know, um, 
and sometimes that's as much as what it is. Um, sometimes it's just dumb luck. Right. You know, if you pick the right spot and you go out there, um, Hell, I've had I've had times I picked the wrong field. Remember? <laughs> yeah, I do. First down there, you guys got me good on that. <laughs> the Fagari. You part of that Fagari tribe? That's right. <laughs> I forgot that. we called it the Fagari field after that. <laughs> yeah, the Fagari field. That was the East Bennis. Yeah, and and you know what's funny about that is that's back when we had the radio. When I used we used, we used to have two way radios, we'd talk, and I could come by and see how y'all were doing, and I'd go on down the road. And I come, I come pulling in there, and your truck's there, and the decoys are there. First, I was kind of surprised because usually you were done by the time I even got around, anyways, or picking up. And I and I could see the birds landing on the field from way off, and I kept thinking, "What the fuck?" I pulled up there, and I seen your truck and the trailer, and I'm looking, I'm watching the birds land right in the middle of this peanut field. It's about a ninety acre peanut field. I'm thinking, where the fuck is Dave hiding at? And I got the the binoculars out, and I didn't have near the binoculars I got now. And I'm looking, and I can't figure out where the fuck you're at. And I, all of a sudden, the radio comes up. <laughs> Uh, I guess you can see that um, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm like, where are you? Uh, look behind you at the other field. And I turn around and look, and you're set up in their field. I go, you're in the wrong field. You're like, no shit. Should have been about 500 yards further to the south. But, you know, oh, I actually I actually convinced my clients that, that the birds were over there. I didn't let them know that I screwed up. No, you never do. I, I actually let my, I says, you know what, we're going to pick up half these decoys, whatever we can carry, and we're going over there. And we did, we ended up going over there with, I don't know, 100 decoys and shooting most of our birds that wow. day. And um, I remember the guys were from, from Louisiana, but I don't remember anything. I mean, um, but half, our, half the clients we ran down there were from Louisiana. So Yes, still is. But, yeah, you don't. You you didn't tell the customer, and and that's what young guys need to learn from someone like you is when you screw up, you don't have to let the client know. Mm-mm. You just got to make it right. Right, but you don't have to tell them everything. Even on days you would go out and hunt, and you'd hunt a traffic field. You never told your customers we're hunting traffic. Yeah, you know, no, you, you just tell them we got we got a field right here. There's a hundred thousand birds right here. Blah blah, and that's all. You don't you don't tell them. Well, the birds are really a half mile away in another field. Even though you're going, to, you're going to shoot a limit, probably anyways, you don't tell them everything. Or even if yeah. it's not shooting a limit, it twenty birds is still a good hunt. Yes, twenty birds is a damn good hunt in my mind. You yeah. know, you got you got seven, eight guys. You shoot twenty, thirty birds. Nobody can bitch about that, especially if they're quality quality flocks that you're finishing. Yeah, I you mean, know? if you're not just sky blasting and everything, and we weren't, you know, we didn't do a lot of sky blasting. So no. Um, no, no. You know, if it wasn't right in your face, most of the time we'd let it go. You know? Matter of fact, we had shirts that said "Pass Shooting Sucks" on the back of it. Yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I still have most. Them were good shirts because I still have most of. Them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Pass Shooting Sucks. I lost. And you know, lost you know what? Mine. You know what's really scary, Jeff, is they still fit me. No, well, you're the only person around here that we can say that for. Uh, you remember the blacks? I have the old black Stanfield um, black sweatshirt, you know, and I'd wear that, I wore that sucker almost every day because mm-hmm. it was black. I still have that sweatshirt. The one that's got the logo on the front? On the, fr- on the back. Okay, we got, 
we went old, old, old school. We went with the round circle on the front, which I think was our first hoodie. I can't remember. We went through a lot. But, you know, we we were all wearing black hoodies around here before it was cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's the true. Th- the thing that I took from you the most and, and uh, had a lot of great, great role models here that I could look up to and really learn a lot from, and I did learn a lot from you guys, but the one thing I learned from you the most was – just appreciating the grind and you know like you said earlier in the podcast you didn't have a whole lot of days off when you were here and for a young kid to see i can i can i can vividly remember uh we were out scouting and you were like yeah this is my 27th day in a row or something crazy like that and uh you know when i'm in junior high and i'm hunting saturday and sunday that's that's a lot but uh you know you just that's what you're here for you're here to hunt and you're here you're not gonna you're not gonna be doing this all year long so you might as well do it every day if you can to master your craft make the most amount of money and go home that way yeah i mean that, that's what most of us got the guides are there for you know they're they're there because they're usually fairly they're fairly good at killing yeah you know did Win- uh, did winicky work here when you were here did who? Did no. Ron Winicky work here when you were here? No, but Winnicky. Ron used to come and hunt with me. I knew Ron really well. And actually, okay. Ron did come. The one year that <laughs> he come and hunted with you guys, he hunted. Actually, we were all together, and we were in Ronnie Ainsworth's house. I think um, Kyle Green. It was Kyle Green, me, Josh. I think Billy Bartz was there. Yep. And Ron Weineke. And Ron, Ron made it about three, maybe two weeks. And didn't he quit or you had to get rid of him? <laughs> what is a terrible... He, he, he got ate up with a, a gout. gout one day and couldn't work. And then Ron was a great guy and could call. He just was too hard. It, it, wouldn't, his, it was too his much body, for a big boy like him. Yeah, and, and I got him a job at the spike box because it was easy, and they were hunting just water out of ponds. And he was yeah. probably yeah. almost fifty when he was down. How old was he? I think Mid-40s? he just aged. I think he just, he just aged, aged real fast. Aged poorly. <laughs> it was oh four that 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 year was oh four that Ron Winicky worked here because that was the year we did the one fifty one on the one fifty one field. Now is he in that picture? Ron Ron's in the one fifty one yeah. picture. But yeah, Ron, yeah, Ron, Ron was a that. Ron was a super nice guy. He was a gadget guy like Randy Bartz also. One of the yeah. greatest duck, one of the greatest duck callers of all time, and he, the young kids don't know another guy that they don't know who he is because he passed away at an early age. But boy, yeah. he could blow the hell out of a duck call. Yeah, Ron, Ron sure could. He was, he was, and he he was, was a nice guy. guy, you know. He was, he, a, he was a nice guy. You so, know, he'd been in it a long time too. So you've been in this your whole life. Where do you see waterfowl hunting going next? You think we're going to continue? You think uh, the flat bills are going to take over the the waterfowl scene, or do you think that uh, old school hard nosed guys like yourself will continue to have a spot here? You know, to tell you the truth, it's it, you know it's probably duck hunting and goose hunting has dropped off so much in the last five years, and I don't know if it's because of the regulations or what reasons they have. But our, truly, our future in it is going to be our kids, Andy. Yeah. Um, just like, you know, Jeff Jeff got you guys going in this stuff. Like, I'm doing the same thing to my kids. Um, my, you know, my kids, 
I took my last one's turkey hunting over the weekend, and mm-hmm. they're turning into crazed hunters already at ages 7 and 10 and 13. So, I mean, they're, um, we need to get our kids, we need to get our women and all that kind of stuff involved in it. And it ain't always about killing your limit. And nope. It's more about the the joy of the outdoors and seeing all that stuff and um, maybe understanding a little bit of nature comes out of that with it. Um, and I think that'd be a good thing for our kids to learn nowadays. Because no, they're all fixated on video games and Fortnite and things like that. And mm-hmm. um, you, you probably didn't turn out so bad being a hunter. So <laughs> No. I appreciate a lot of things. I appreciate uh, the little moments. You know, I, don't get me wrong. I want to kill a limit every day, but you know, if I can, uh, if I can put on a show for the guys that might only do this a couple times a year, if I can put on a show for them, like you said at the beginning, we're we're entertainers as waterfowl guides. Yep. Pure and simple. They're out here for entertainment. They're here to see a show, and uh, you know, there's there's times knowing that I am an entertainer that I might let a flock go a pass too many and lose them. But, you know, in the back of my mind, I know that if I finish this flock, it's going to be something that they can tell for the rest of their lives because it's going to be yeah. something truly special. You know, I look uh, at it as I always, I want to have everybody I hunt at least one, you know, if they come one day, it may be hard, but most mm-hmm. of the guys I hunt come for two or three days and I want them to have at least one time that season where they say, wow. Yep. I mean, I've hunted 20-some years. I want to hear them say, wow, that was cool. Or, you know, and that, that makes, that's what makes me go. And that was, that's what makes me think, oh, this isn't always so bad. Because sometimes <laughs> it is a pain in the ass. Sure. You know, not every group is cool. No, no. <laughs> um, some of them are, some of them are way out there. <laughs> yeah, and what's tough is you've got to strike as as a waterfowl guide. You've got to you've got to find a common interest somewhere in there, or it's going to be like pulling teeth for the next. You know, here we hunt until noon, so it's going to be like pulling teeth for the next five or six hours if you don't find something in common with these people, and you're always the outsider because everybody in that group knows knows each other most of the time. They all have inside jokes and everything, and you've got to pick up on those things, and you got to pick up on them sometimes the night before and see what's going to make this hunt, you know, enjoyable for everybody. Oh, yeah, you have, you got to read your clients just like you're going to read your birds. You know, there's some of them that are not going to be able to joke around with and yep. do stuff like that, and they just, they just, if they talk to them, it's, you know, it's pretty straight up in what is what, you know. Mm-hmm. I've had different ones, you know. Um, I'll never forget the. I'll, there's a couple of them. You'll never forget them, you know, because you don't even know if they're serious when they're talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, yeah, that that it, it. But you're right. I mean, you it's uh, you're not just reading the birds. You're not just setting out a spread. You're reading people. You're. I mean, it being a waterfowl guide. The easy part is probably killing birds. I would say, 
the the other you shit know, of back, you know back when I started down there you know we like Jeff said you know there was a half a million lessers there at least most of the mm-hmm. time and that was way more birds than I'd ever was used to dealing with and uh, so I mean you know, I had to make adjustments but um, you know I'd hunted I'd hunted since I was you know probably. I hunted ducks. I think I started probably when I was 11 or 12 years old. I might even been before that. I think I've seen some pictures of me holding some mallards, and I know I don't think I was probably 10. Yeah. Um, But I don't even remember if... uh, My brother probably got me into more of the waterfall hunting than than anybody did, and um, I appreciate that, you know, um, because I'm still doing it. (laughs) And... um, it ain't always, you know, you got to, there's always things to do um, yeah. as far as, you know, making yourself better. Like I said, waterfalls always changing and it's always got to be changing. We had, um, uh, we had Scott Trinan on and we talked about you and he said, what you're the best at is hiding. He said, if you can hide like Dave hides, you can kill any bird in the country. Yeah. But well, you, you, you true, make it a priority. Know. I used to say that all the time to you guys. I'd say, you know, 50% of this is being able to hide. If mm-hmm. you can't hide from the birds, they're not going to come and land on top of you. Um, if they see you, you know, hiding is really, truly, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of different things, but your hide is everything. They won't, they won't come near you. You can't shoot them. Yeah. You know? And that's the part nobody wants to do either. That's the unsexy part of setting up a spread is hiding. Everybody yep. wants to set out decoys. Everybody wants to set out a cool-looking spread that's going to be the next big thing, but nobody wants to take the time to get an extra handful of brush and make sure that they, they are invisible for when those birds do come. You know, I think the the best the best joke we probably ever did talking about the hide thing, and I know, Jeff, that one was pretty good with Dave, <laughs> but we... Me and Josh and Billy Bartz, we we'd go out, you know. Then Peanuts got all that trash. Well, the, that year, them guys were all down there. There wasn't a lot of trash out in the field, and you'd have to kind of drive around the field and look for a big pile. Mm-hmm. And um, so, me and Josh, we're sitting there, like, well, Billy, Billy would always. Um, we'd look for these big piles and when we'd be setting decoys, well, Bill, we'd tell Billy that there were snakes underneath <laughs> them big piles <laughs> I, of trash. I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> He'd leave our big piles alone. <laughs> and we went the whole season without telling him that. And he, I don't know, to this day, he probably still won't go buy a big pile of peanut stubble. No. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we... We uh, we did all kinds of little tricks, I guess, on each other down there over the years. It was kind of fun, and that made it easy pickings for you because you see a big pile of trash, and it's either going to be you or Josh gets it. You don't have to worry about Billy getting it. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, we'd throw our bins over there and fill them up and take them <laughs> poor, back. You know, poor Bill is raking the whole, going through the whole field. Oh yeah, raking. he'd be out there kicking stubble for twenty minutes. You know, <laughs> getting enough just to cover his his board up. <laughs> Me and Josh yeah. would have huge piles all the way around us, you know. You couldn't see nothing but our eyeballs sticking out. Yeah. How, uh, what's, what was your season like this past year? You know, um, 
I had a really disappointing opener. Normally on opening, we got plenty of teal and all that stuff. And um, I normally shoot 180 birds on the weekend with wow. my duck guys. And um, this year, I think I shot 80 for two days, you know, and that was great because, you know, there was 60, I think I had 16 guys up here. So, I mean, we weren't anywhere near shooting limits. And um, we, um, that first week was kind of crappy. And then we had a good push of cold come down. And I did really good for four weeks. Um, we shot, shot birds constantly for about four weeks. And then, it kind of, the fifth week kind of got slower, and then we had a huge snowstorm the beginning of November. Yep. And that. we got, we got geese. Um, we lost all of our ducks that were here, and I just switched, you know, I switched gears and went, everything froze up, and the lake started freezing, and um, they actually did, everything froze, I guess, except for the river, which, and then I have pits along the edge of the river that we hunt once everything freezes up and um so we started hunting them and the first the first day i think we killed like 80 some birds in the snow i ran two different groups i had two different groups out during then and um i had 16 in one and there was like seven or eight in the other and we filled out um before noon out of pits, you know, well, I guess I had two different setups thinking outside the box again, you know, how I am. I had two different setups going at one time, 200 yards apart. Oh, wow. And one was on top of a hill in pits and the other one was on a big pond mm -hmm. with a water, with a big water set and, um, nobody else was stop could stop them. And, um, I talked to, there was four or five other groups out hunting and they could hear me just a blazing away over there and nobody else was stopping them. And uh, I could really play a claim to that double set. You know, I, I never really tried it. I had so many guys that I couldn't put. I only had eight guys in the, my pit up on that one hill only fits eight guys. So I had another eight guys I had on the pond and a frame lines in a boat. And I guess I had, couple boats and a couple a-frame blinds but um but it was it was it was so neat i really didn't have another caller so i'd call the birds i'd suck them around and get them to come into the pond and the little groups would suck right into the pond and we'd shoot them or i'd let some of the bigger groups kind of circle around and i'd get them kind of lined up over my pond and if i'd shut up and not call anymore I could get them to drift right over to the set on top of the hill and them guys would shoot. Them. And I, it, it worked perfect. I mean, I couldn't have guessed that it even worked as good as it did because I had never really tried it, you know, with two different groups. We either usually hunt one spot or the other. Because um, usually when you got it, you always think if you hunt against another group that they're always just there to screw you over. Right. You know, which most yeah. of the time they are. But when you're the two groups, you can make it work to your advantage, and nobody thinks about that. You know, they all want the ultimate. They all want to shoot, you know. Yep. That's what it's about to them. 
Well, how was the end of your season, the late year, the late end of the, the so, year? Was you it know, pretty- we did really good in through like the beginning of December, and then we lost all of our snow in December. And December was a pretty tough, about as tough a December as I've seen up here. Um, a lot yeah. of my Decembers I spent down in Texas, though, too. But, yeah. uh, you know, now I, I run till Christmas now, and... Um, I can usually, even if there's only five or 10,000 birds, um, I can usually always get my birds every day. Um, it's almost, it's almost too easy most of the time. Not that I should say it's too easy any of the time, but it's, I almost, I probably got about a hundred percent where if I go and hunt my, any, I got so many pits that, you know, I'm, I'm about a hundred percent on when the birds are here from November to December. If not, I don't even. I usually don't hunt, you know. So if it okay. gets really bad, like this December was, uh-huh. I um, I I didn't hunt a lot this last December. Um, you, you but we did keep a that show. Average up. We did a good show with um, with Sean Stahl around Thanksgiving. Um, for that R and T T V. That was that was kinda neat. Um I'd known Sean for oh we met I shouldn't say I knew him, but we I met him many, many years ago, probably fifteen, twenty years ago. And we both worked for Buck Gardner. Hmm. And that so I mean this was back early two thousand or whatever. And um I just did a little bit of rapping. I think he he was Sean was Buck's probably like right hand man at that time and he um he gave me one of his it was kind of funny because he gave me two of his prototypes he only made like two of them or 200 of them 100 of each yeah and um he i got two of them prototypes and i don't think sean remembered remembered me or anything so when he come up and he hunted with me for i think three or four days and we killed we killed almost 100 birds while he was here have you uh, seen that episode has that episode aired yet no, I don't think so. I don't know. It was just this last fall. Oh, okay. Um, that he was here, like it was right, right before or right after Thanksgiving. I think it was right after Thanksgiving, and we were shooting. I mean, we shot limits every day. Um, he actually, I think, one of the reasons he wanted to come up is we get a lot of these birds from Winnipeg, mm-hmm. and they're all double banded. They're double banded rivet ones. And we shoot a bunch of them up here. <laughs> um, I don't know. I probably, I suppose we, we probably killed 10, 10 or 15 of them double bands this year. And then you shoot, you know, probably five or 10 of the single ones too. Um, so, I mean, we did shoot a lot of bands and the other outfitters, I know a couple of them guys, they shot 30 or 40 of them. Wow. Have you, you shot know. a Jack Miner ever? No. Um, I've seen them. I I personally have not shot one, but I've seen plenty of them. Um, you know, my I, I can imagine um, the last one I probably heard of being shot was probably fifteen years ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. So you probably uh, don't even you probably don't even get excited when a band is killed anymore. No, you know, usually when I get them, I well deserve them. You know, like this year, 
I saw two back to back day to day. I had um, my brother come up, and he was. I think they had four or five friends of his, and we hunted the one day, and we're hunting on pits, and we were we had most of our limit. A single goes by over the top of the one pit, and I call the shot, and nobody gets up and shoots. You know, like, what are you guys doing? And so mm-hmm. I keep calling, and I spin it around, and I get it, and it's coming right back into the kill hole. And it gets to about 20 yards, and I and nobody jumps up. Mm-hmm. And finally I says, well, you know, it was my brother and stuff, so I pick up my gun and I shoot it. <laughs> it Dog goes out, gets it, brings it back. It's double banded. Son of a bitch. <laughs> you know, and the sa- next day, same exact thing happens. I mean, it was a different bird. Bird comes out, it waffles back and forth in front of us at 30 yards from one end of the pit to the other. And I say kill it like three times. <laughs> and nobody nobody jumps up and shoots it. So I says, well, it goes on this. I still see two more, so... I shoot that one, and um, dog goes out and picks it up, double banded. <laughs> mm. So you know it was kind of one of them things. We deserved it, you know. You gave them everybody everybody an opportunity, and that's right. When it's when it's one bullet and one shot, there's no question on who shot the band, you know. So you don't have to sit and argue about it. I can remember Johnny Reichert was the band whore. Of Knox and Haskell County, the worst. I, I sold the, him a whole lanyard. Yeah, me and, both me and Steve sold every greater band we had to. He was he. I mean, back then he'd give us forty, fifty bucks a band. Oh my god! Yeah, I remember Jesus. he he gave a customer fifty dollars for a band one time, and the other guys in the group got mad, and they said, you "Just give the guy the band. He wants the band. He, we don't we don't know who shot it. Ten guys shot right." And, oh, yeah, Johnny, he would get all worked up over a band. More than anybody I've ever seen in my life, probably. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I know a couple of them that are – I know John Clark likes bands, too. <laughs> yeah, he, he did. I do remember he was that. Kind yes. of a, he was kind of – you know, and back then, I didn't even care about bands. I, I didn't even want them on my lanyard because I didn't want to shine. Right. You know, yeah. but after about 10, 15 years of um, – you know, not really giving a shit about bands. You always, you always run into the guy that has the whole lanyard full, and mm-hmm. you're like, "Well, how come you don't have any on yours?" Like, "Well, I really don't keep them." And nine times out of ten, if I got a kid in the group, and we actually shoot a band, you know, and most of the time it was a spec. You know, we down there in Texas we shoot more specs that were banded than anything. Still do. And yeah, I was gonna say probably still do. Well, you know, giving that band to that kid was so much of a better idea than trying to weasel it and put it on my lanyard because it made that kid think, "Oh, God!" It probably made it might have made that kid a goose hunter. You know, yeah, that's um, a good way of looking at it. And that, that, kid's, times, that kid's fucked if he's hunting with me, though. I'm weaseling it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd wrestle you for it, yeah. I'm still in pretty good shape. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've seen pictures of you. You're just a skinny little guy. <laughs> yeah, I s- still am. Well, Dave, <laughs> I, I, 
I've really appreciated, uh, this has been fun. This could be a seven or eight hour podcast. So, um, I really appreciate your time as always. And you said you get done in, at Christmas. So we, we still go six weeks after Christmas. So I know I need to get down there again. My boys are old enough now that I can actually maybe get down there. Well, you're um, sure welcome here anytime. And I personally appreciate all the work you did up here, all the guiding, all the good memories we had, lots of good oh, times. Oh, God, we had so much fun down there, Jeff. Was, yeah. You, like I said, I wouldn't trade any of act. my memories. I wouldn't trade any of my memories down there. We had, a, we had a really good time. I enjoyed you being here, and I appreciate everything you've done for the Stanfield family. And uh, like I said, you're a class act, and I, and I still consider you the gra- the best goose hunter I ever had work for me. And I've had a lot of good ones. Mm-hmm. Well, I, 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 re- I really do. <laughs> that's a pretty big – that's a pretty good – that's a pretty big boast to say because you've ran a lot of people. You've been around for a while, so um, and he he put you above his own son. Can you believe that? He what? He put you above his own son that's sitting right here next to him. Can you believe that? Well, you had to learn from somebody. I had yeah, and, and I tell you what, the 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 group of guys that were here that I got to learn from. Uh, I don't think that I don't think that there's I don't think you could put together a better group of mentors than uh, than you guys. So that's, that's really what I appreciate is I appreciate you taking time and out of your, you know, how old were you when you were here? 25, 24, 25. Yeah. That's probably when I started. So for you to take time out of your, you know, it's a rat race during hunting season. It's seven days a week. It's early mornings. Uh, there's times where the last thing that you want to do is take time out of your day and show a kid. Uh, show a kid the ropes and, you know, show them this on a call. I can, I can still remember the first call I got, you know, it, it was over in that old guide house across from my parents and all the guides taught me, you know, what they knew about, uh, working a goose call. So yeah. for, for you guys, and especially you to, you know, show me the ropes and show me, uh, you know, let me in on your tips and secrets and stuff like that. I, I really do owe everything that I know to, uh, to you. So I, I appreciate hey. that. And I hope that we can get together soon. Hey, I got one question for you. Can your brother still blow a duck call better than you? Yes. No. <laughs> no. No, he cannot. <laughs> but he yeah, he is very good. I remember Zach. I mean, he'd be like, he was five or six. Yeah, I don't even know if he was five or six years old. But he'd walk around with that damn duck call. And that little kid could blow that duck call even back then. Yeah, he Zach could hum a call. When we were, when he was probably about twelve, we went to we were in Phoenix. For some reason, we went to Cabela's in Phoenix, and they had a duck call display there. And Zach might have been younger; he might have been about ten, nine or ten. And he was looking at a duck call, and he had some money for our for wherever the hell we were going or doing. And he wanted to buy him a duck call, and he was looking at a call, probably hundred, hundred and fifty dollar duck call. And this guy, this guy behind the counter, you know, he didn't really want to fuck with us much. And I said he'd like to see that call in there, and he goes and unlocks it, and he's like. Well, son, uh, do you, do you, can you blow a duck call? Yes, sir. He said, here, let me kind of show you some notes. And this guy kind of played on that call a little bit, and he wasn't very good. And he let Zach, he said, here, son, you try it. And Zach blowed that call. <laughs> and that guy, about after about 10 seconds, that guy goes, oh, well, son, it's obvious that you can blow a duck call a whole lot better than I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he can blow a call. Anyways, I appreciate it. Tell your brother Steve I said hello. And if you see Randy, you tell him I said hello also, okay? All right, sounds good. You fuckers get thanks, down here in January. Thanks for having me down there, boys. All right. You have a good day, talk. Dave.
Uh-huh. Yes, sir. Thank you. Stay God in bless touch. you, bud. Uh-huh. See you, buddy. Bye. The best right there. Boy, that brought back a lot of old memories, boy. That we had yeah. a lot of good times together. A lot of a lot of good days. And and back then we didn't run all the afternoon hunts we did. We didn't do pheasant hunts then. We did mostly all morning goose hunts. Damn it, Ollie, quit shaking your neck. And um so dad dad hunted almost every day. That was some good times. Yeah, and I listen, we've got a great group group of guides here right now. Yes. Uh, we all work together very, very well, but I, I don't know if you could put together a better, better group of guides than what was there in the late nineties and early two thousands. They were a good group. And then the group with, with Brian, Dane and Mags was a good group of guys too. Yeah. Those were, those were my, those two groups of guys were the most stable groups I had. Brian, Mags and Dane were, were, were better for me because it was six, seven years together. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have to. There was nobody new coming in. It was just us. Yeah. And 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 that was a really good time. And I mean, I don't know. I've got I've had so many good guys work for me that I can't. I mean, I just Dave's. I think is the best guy I ever had when it come to overall. When he left, it was a limited birds every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, every single day. Um, but you get guys that you know, like Blake. Now Blake's one of my favorite guys I've ever had work for me because Blake's kind of like a fourth son. He's like my ugly fat son. I enjoy Blake a lot. And um. But I've had Luke, you know, was a kid that I loved to death, and I still do. And I care a lot about all the, most all the guys that work for me. Brian Hall's one of my favorite people ever. But Dave yeah. was, when it come to hunting and take emotions out of it, just Dave is a hunter. Dave was as good a hunter as I've ever been around any time, and he was from day one. Well, he just he he pays attention. The devil's in the details and everything, and he pays attention to those details, just like. You know, just like using obstacles in the field to your advantage, just like Trinan said about him, he 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 he's a master at hiding, which is the most important thing that you can do. Yeah, and those, like you said, Mingo, it's the one people don't want to do. <clears throat> no, nobody wants to go get that extra handful of grass. Nobody wants to go get that extra tub of stubble. Or, or everybody's lazy when it comes to hiding because it's not fun. It's no. not sexy. It's it's not you know you're not putting out decoys. You're not uh, people people think that the hunt is won and lost in their decoy spread and it's really not if you you can have the best looking decoy spread out there with the most decoys but if you're sticking out like a sore pecker birds aren't going to do it how many instagram pictures of someone building a blind have you seen zero but not very many <laughs> but, I, but you I've, got seen, them. I've seen some but it's not it's few and far between how many have you seen people putting up for picking all, up decoys all the time that's right that's the sexy part so uh but Dave is damn good, and I know that I hurt some feelings on here because a lot of yeah. I, I'm friends with a lot of the old guys that work for me. There's very few people that hadn't worked for us. I still don't. I'm not friends with, but yeah. I just call it the way I see it. He is Dave was a very, very, very good guy, and he put a lot of birds down. He's always humble. He never he never had an ego. That's the thing with Dave that I really like. Yeah. Is, and, and, and Brian Hall was like that, and Dane is like that. Yep. And Blake's that way. Whether you shoot 400 birds, they shoot three. It's the same person, but Dave always he he always had confidence is is one thing that I remember. He didn't have an ego, but you could tell he was confident in his oh, yeah. ability because he had nothing to prove to anybody. So he always kind of walked with a little. Dave's not braggadocious, but he walked with confidence. He walked with a little bit of a swag. He always had that shit eating grin that he probably still has today. You know, it's funny. I was thinking I was mentally picturing when that kid said, "Where's your bands at?" Yeah, I'm thinking, son. That would be like a 
upcoming country guy that sings at some bar somewhere asking George Strait, well, where's your guitar? Yeah. You know, you don't – I mean, he 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 is the man when it comes to that. But he was a good guy, He but he never complained. Mm-mm. Never, no, ever complained. I never remember hearing him complain. He, he never bitched at all. That's one thing I remember because I listen to all you guys bitch about stuff sometime or another, mm-hmm. and I don't. He never really bitched that much. I, and I'm sure that there's times sure that he did, did but, but he I he didn't much. Yeah. But we, we were a, the lodge was different. The dynamics around here there than is now. Now it's your kids. Right. Reese and stuff's gonna be here hanging out with all the guys and being around stuff. Well, that was Payne and Zach at that time. You were a little older, mm-hmm. and Payne would come in every day after school, and he'd come running to my office, and he thought it was his and. And, you know, and Zach was wanting to hang out with the guys carrying the goose calls and do all that stuff and or the duck calls. And you were up the guide's butts on the goose hunting. And mm-hmm. so are the dynamics of our families different than it is now with the guys? Because you guys are all raised and now it's grandkids that are here. And some nights there's no little kids here. Yeah. But when they were here, it was my family was here all the time. Mm-hmm. Tony hadn't been married, no kids yet. Dad still could walk all over and do everything he does and did then. Still walk side to side a lot. He did. Dad did always walk side to side always, but Dad was a hole digging some bitch back then. Mm. But th- those were good days and yeah. good times, and I appreciate all the guys that worked for me. We're gonna have some more of our old guys here, and we got a lot of them to choose from. I like the old stories. I hope everybody else is enjoying the old stories. But Dave Reese can teach some people a lot of stuff. If you're a young guy and you can, you know Dave or, or can see him on Facebook or something, he'd be someone to touch. You know, talk to if you ever have any questions. So I appreciate it. Uh, you know, like I said, uh, there's a, especially now doing it seven days a week like I do. There's some days I don't want to fucking. Last thing I want to do is is explain why I'm doing something. And he never any any question I ever had, any problem I ever ran into, he always had an answer for it. So uh, from the bottom of my heart, I really do owe a lot of probably most of what I know to Dave and uh all those guys so but he understood that it was important to teach the yes the younger kid because that's the only way that this is going to continue on so thank you dave i hope everybody enjoyed that podcast it was a lot of fun for us on our end uh, and i hope hope you took something away from it and i need goose slammer to get a hold of me about this dove hunt if i don't hear nothing within a month i'm gonna do that hunt to someone else but goose slammer you've got until may 15th yeah may 15th to holler at me if not i'm gonna give the hunt to someone else but please look me up uh i appreciate everybody listening god bless you uh have a good day